0: All right, we're going to jump in the text today. Uh, as, you, as you heard, we're in uh, Romans 4, Romans 4, 1. Uh, so in last fall, we, we did Romans 1 through 3. We took a break, but we're going to pick up Romans again, and I'm excited. I love this book. It's good stuff. And so um, one of the things that I notice is that when I'm talking to people about Jesus who might be far away or maybe haven't been to, to church in a while, I'll say, hey, you know, come to church, come to small group." you know, something, come to something that we do, and they'll be like, man, I just, I, you know, let me get right, or, you know, let me, you know, let me do this, or let, let me pray more. They, they, basically, the idea is that they, they feel like they have to, to do something in order to come near to God. They might feel a sense of shame. Or feel a sense of guilt, and they're thinking, I I just can't. I can't go to church. I can't be with God's people. I can't read. I can't. I just don't want to get too close because maybe I'm a little bit too dirty, or maybe God actually sees some of the the issues and sins that I struggle with, all right? And so, a lot of times, they'll be like, well, let me get right. Let me get right first, okay? And so, the series through Romans 4 and 5 is, is called How to Get Right, since I heard that so often, like how do I, how, how, what, the, what do I got to do to feel okay about drawing near to God? And the first thing that we need to understand is you cannot make yourself right. You cannot make yourself right, but God can. You can't make yourself right, but God can make you right. Jesus, help us to understand this. All right, so we're going to look at verse 1, 1 through 3. It says, how, we need to think, how was Abraham made right with God? Now, now, when we look at the scripture, it says, what then should we say about Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. Now, Paul was a Jew. All the disciples was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Okay? So the Jewish nation, that was, that was God's people in the old covenant. And he was the father of them all. He was God's chosen vessel of redemption for his family and for all the nations. So the Jews looked to him as their father, both ethnically and spiritually. The scriptures remember him as a friend of God. James 2.23 says that the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now, apparently, in layman's terms, he got right. He was in with God. God chose him, used him to be a blessing to his family, used him to be a blessing to the nations. And and, and why would we not want to look to him as an example for what it means to be near to God, to be a chosen vessel, to be God's friend? He is the prototype in, in order for us to look. How do I get near to him? I want to do what he did. And we see from the scriptures that Abraham got right by faith and in trust in God's promises. Look at verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness was a a gift that was was given to to him. See, God has a righteous requirement to be near him. And it's steep, y'all. But guess what? He gives us the funds, if you will, for the requirement. You know, sometimes I feel like people think that getting into heaven, like, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll stand in front of the gates, and I feel like people think it's like a, like, a, like a theme park admission. You're like, do you got the ticket? You know, do you have the thing to get in here, the passport, whatever? All right, so let's just imagine the ticket costs a trillion dollars, and you're like, oh, man, I don't, you know, I don't know if I got that, you know? And God says, it's all all good. Here you go. And he gives you the funds. He gives you the access. He gives you what you need to step on in. See, faith and trust is the way to accept the gift. God says, I'll give you righteousness. I'll give you access. I'll let you be my friend. The cost is steep. But I will even give you the funds to pay for it. And faith is just saying, oh, okay, thank you. I believe that. I trust in that. It's opening your hands to receive this gift from God. Here's what's clear. Abraham cannot look to his own works for his acceptance. Let me tell you why. He didn't contribute to it, right? It was credited to him. look, Look, how weird would it be if somebody gave you a gift and you're like, man, look how awesome I am. I got this gift that I did not earn. You'd be like, but you ain't, you ain't earn it though. Like, what, what, you, what you proud of? You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you received it and stuff, but you wouldn't have had it if somebody ain't given give it to you. There's no boasting for the godly. See, Abraham is the prototype God follower. He did not contribute to his getting right with God. See, here, here's the craziest thing. Anything good that we have is a gift from God. That's what James 1 says. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father. And all we can do is return praise back to him for his gift. I remember I used to have trouble saying thank you when people would give me a compliment. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me me unpack that. So I started preaching when I was around 14 or 15. Okay, and so people see a young dude preaching, and they're like, "Oh man, let me encourage him," and you know, they're like, "Man, you're a good preacher. You know, you did a good job." And and here in the back of my head, what's going on is I'm like, I didn't do this. <laughs> like, I didn't. I was not looking for God. Like, God just snatched me up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and so I, I used to struggle. People would say something, and I'm, this is honest. It'd be, it was awkward. I'd be like, uh, you know, because <laughs> I'd be like, thank you. You're so good. I'm like, but I'm not. It's not me. It's not me. And one time, you know, my mama said, you need to start saying thank you. <laughs> somebody give you? I'm like, well, okay. And so i say, thank you, praise God, because <laughs> I, I want people to understand that anything that is good in me comes from him. Now, we need to look at the difference between what is earned and what is a gift. Verse 4 says, Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. So if Abraham worked for his righteousness, it would not have been a gift. Look, imagine if you worked a long week. You know, at your job, it was a hard week, but you put in your hours. You put, you clocked your time, and it's time for you to get your paycheck. And your boss says, man, look how good a boss I am. Here's the money you've earned. You'd be like, well, thank you. You know, like, you didn't do anything extra special. Like, I earned it. You know, like, I worked. Thank, but thank you. You know, like, you know if, if your boss tried to make you feel all special because he paid you what you owed, he'd be like, well, but you, I, you owe me this. It's not a gift to me. I worked. You see what I'm saying? This is the difference. This is the difference. See, listen, listen. Abraham is justified by faith as a gift. He, he got something that he did not work for. It's not that he, he did a job of righteousness and God said, well, I'm glad you did it. Here's what you earned. That is not what happened. It's like getting a random $1 million check in the mail. What, what do you think? You're like, oh, I'm glad it's here. Thank you. Who, how did they get it? Who, why did I get it? Who are they? How did they know who I am? It's like, man, this is awesome. Thank you so much. See, the feeling between a gift and the reward is very different, yeah? It's a different feeling. You know, if, if I work for something and I receive it, I got a sense of pride. And that's not, I'm not saying it's a bad pride, but you're like, I, I did it. You know, you, that's a good feeling when you work and you did something. But when I, when I have a gift given to me, I have a sense of thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, thank you. You see, you see the difference? This is, this is very important. And see, here's what you need to ask yourself. What do you feel when you look towards God? Do you feel, look, how, look at me, God. Are you proud? Look at what, look what I've done. Or do you, are you like, thank you. I, do not, I don't deserve to be talking to you. I don't, I'm just glad you like me and I didn't earn it. See, one is evidence that we have trust in our own works. And one is evidence that we have trust in God's grace, in his gift. And we, y'all, we don't outgrow that need. See, the thing about it, the, the, the people who, have, who, who I know who are most godly are also most aware of their own sin. You, you don't graduate from needing God's grace. If you've been walking with Jesus 10, 15, 20, however long, you don't graduate because if, if my mind is correct, I think we still fall. And God's grace is a constant everyday necessity, which means that it should produce in me a constant everyday thanksgiving and praise because it's not something that I earned. It's something that is given to me. It goes on to teach that all God's people have gotten right because of grace. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness, Apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. No one is justified by a perfect record of righteousness because they don't got one. They don't, they don't have. In fact, the one who even wrote this psalm, the one who wrote this, David, he is not just teaching, he is speaking out of experience. See, now we understand David has some real high points, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, my son loves the story of David and Goliath. You know, David was a good king. He praised God. He had some really, really high points, but he also had some low points. Okay, listen. Listen, David, he had some good days, but, but David was also a, he was an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, it wasn't like, oopsie daisy. You know what I mean? Like, it was some premeditated, I'm going to do something real evil today. Now, here's what happens. We, we, at, we all have this inner court. Here's what I'm saying. We like we, when, we, when we're relying on our own works, we're like, you know, am I doing okay today? And how you, you schedule that? You're like, well, did I do more good than I did bad? If I do more good than I did bad, then God will accept me. You might not think this, but you can tell by how you feel. Okay? If you get to the end of the day and you—remember, if you feel the sense of pride, you are— Judging yourself based on what you did. If you get to the end of the day and you feel a sense of thanksgiving, okay, you're like, oh, man, God's gracious. Now, let me flip side. Let's say say if your bad outweighs the good. If you get to the end of the day and you feel overburdened by guilt, you're judging based on what you have done. Now, when we get into this conversation, we always have this—I feel like when we think about our spiritual life, you see that, you know, that tipping scale, like that justice image where it's like, is it good outweigh, good outweigh? And, and so, like, we're, we have this inner lawyer that's like, well, my good outweighed the bad today. Now, here's the deal. That does not work in court. For instance, say somebody's on trial, you know, for murder, and he's like, but I gave a lot of money away. Cool, I guess, but, like, <laughs> that, that is, you still got to pay for this. Like, that doesn't actually work. If somebody does something wrong and it hurts people, it doesn't work that they did something good to cover because they still have to face the consequences of what they did that is wrong. Even David himself. All of God's people are only accepted because of God's grace. Grace. But he says, he says, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven. That, that word blessed, I feel like we use that a lot. But, but think, think happy and full. Happy and full are those who are forgiven. Happiness and joy comes from a slate wiped clean. I don't know if y'all have ever been in trouble before. But if you've been in trouble and then suddenly you wasn't in trouble, you felt good, right? You're like, ooh, I dodged a bullet on that one. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 ooh, thank God. You know, so here's the deal. God covers our sins. See, we all have things that we wish could be forgotten by somebody or ourselves, right? We're like, man, if they remember what I did, if they remember what I said, if they remember who I was. Listen, listen, when we come to God and we ask for his grace and forgiveness, he covers our sins. Not only that, God does not charge our sin. We all have things that we wish we didn't have to have consequences for, right? Man, I did that, then this happened, and then this happened, and this this trail of destruction. But when we come to God and our relationship with him, he says, No, I'm I'm not going to let you face the consequences for me for your sin. Listen, getting right with God is available to all kinds of people. Look at verse 9. This is where if you got in a reading, you was like, why are you talking about circumcision a lot? All right, here we go. Verse 9, it says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncirc- uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. Man, has got that word in there a lot. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. Let me, let me, let me break it down. So if you're... If you're um, from the, the Jewish religion, the sign of your religion, the sign, sign of like you are in covenant with God as a people is circumcision. It's like this is the sign of, of, of a very similar, uh, 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 but not the same as like baptism. You're like, hey, we've been baptized. We're Christians. In Jewish world, like, hey, the dudes are circumcised. We're Jewish. And so they're thinking that, that, that they will be justified by these outward rituals, they're thinking that these outward rituals would make them right with God. And Paul's saying, listen, you got it all wrong because, because Abraham did not do this outward ritual before he was declared righteous. It was afterwards, after he was declared righteous, God gave him this symbol and a seal. It was not before. So you can't say that the, the outward ritual made him right and you can't take refuge in your outward ritual. Now, why is this important? He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. The point is, he's saying, no matter what your ethnic group no matter what your religious background, no no matter what traditions have been handed down to you, you can receive this righteousness from God just like Abraham because it happened before he received this symbol. Verse 12, And he became the father of the circumcised who not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. The point of the matter is we don't bring anything to the table in order to get righteousness. We don't bring anything to the table. You, you, you're not made righteous by circumcision or, or some sort of ritual. You know, we all do, do things that mark us as religious sometimes. I mean, listen, when I first became a Christian, I, I, I was trying to share the gospel. Man, I had shirts that said Jesus. I mean, I got some tattoos about Jesus. I, mean, I was like, anything I could do to tell somebody about Jesus, I did it. But the, the point is, I wasn't justified because you could look on the outward. You, you see this cross, it's not, it's not what justifies me. It doesn't make me right and get me extra points. It doesn't, doesn't bring me closer to God. Because then it will be about me. He he goes on to say, "It's, it's not about ethnicity or heritage. Your family doesn't make you right. You don't inherit faith. You don't get in because your grandma was really holy. Your culture doesn't make you right. Doesn't matter if your heritage is something that you're super proud of or something you want to slide under the table. That's not what makes you right. Your ethnicity does not make you right. There's not a shade that brings you closer to the Father. Not by traditions. It doesn't matter the holidays you celebrate. It doesn't matter your voting record. It doesn't matter whatever thing you, you hold dear. That does not make you right. Not even a tip scale of good works makes you right. Well, I did more good than I did bad that day. We've already talked about it. that don't make you right. You still got to answer up to what you've done that's wrong. We are made right by grace through faith. Now Here's the deal. By grace through faith in what? By grace through faith in what? See, Abraham believed God's promise, but he didn't actually have the whole picture. He actually was looking forward to something that he couldn't wholly articulate. But beloved, we have the full picture. You know, uh, we can see this picture of how God makes us right by the act of baptism. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, you haven't seen it before. You, know, you understand, when someone gets baptized, they, they get in the water, they go down, they come up like, why do we do that thing? What is that about? The, the, the word baptism, it literally means dunk or dip. That's what it means. And it symbolizes the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in it, we see that Jesus died because of our sins. This is how our sins are wiped clean, because they have been put on Jesus. We need to understand that when Jesus is on the cross, he's not suffering for something that he did. He's not paying something that he owed. But it's because of our sin, he is on that cross. And then we also understand that Jesus rose from the dead. See, this is the Father's vindication that Jesus is victorious and that he is innocent. Listen, listen. Here's the crazy thing. But if baptism is about Jesus, if it's about Jesus, why are we baptized? If it's about Jesus, what, why, are we, why are we getting a wall? What what's it about? It's because by faith, Jesus includes us in his work. Because this is, this is crazy. I want you to, if, if you just have some extra time, you're in the, the New Testament, I want you to try to count how many times it says in Christ. You are in Christ. We are in Christ. It's a lot. But, but by faith, somehow, God unites us to Jesus, and we get included in what he has done so that our sins are forgiven. And y'all get this, get this. I love this doctrine. We take on Jesus's righteousness. There's a trade that happens. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Has God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. What, what is he talking about? On the cross, when we put our trust in Jesus, the long record of our sins is put on him. But not only that, the long record of his righteousness is put on us. Remember that, credited? Like, that, like, like who, who, who earned the credit? Where's the credit coming from? From Jesus' 33 years of faithful obedience. That's where the credit comes from. And when we put our trust in him, our sins are put on the cross. And his righteousness is credited, is given to us. See, God sees the Christian with the righteousness of Christ. Beloved, Abraham believed because of a promise he couldn't fully see. We get to believe because of a promise that is fulfilled, that we can look at. So what are we to do with this? I have a couple of things. This is going to sound a little strange, but I want you to just, just hear me out. I think that you ought to remember your baptism more often. Why? It's a sign and a seal of the gospel and justification. It's a reminder that you did not make yourself right. Who, who baptized himself in here? Anybody baptize himself? That usually doesn't happen, right? It'd be weird. <laughs> like, like, like somebody else does it to you. It is a reminder that you, you did not do something to get in. God is the one who has done something for you. He has put you in Christ. He has put your sin on the cross, and He has put Christ's righteousness on you. Listen, what if you were to remember your baptism when you wake up? When you wake up, I'm like, I've been baptized. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that my sin has been put on Christ. His righteousness has been put on me. You start this this day with the sense of the Father's acceptance. How would that change your attitude? What kind of praise and thankfulness? I know that we don't all have time to think deep, rich theological thoughts all day. But in, in this picture of baptism, we have a shorthand. Oh, man, you about to go, on, you feeling stressed. You're you, you feeling like somebody feels some kind of way about you. But, nah, but I've been baptized. though. <laughs> Christ has, has put me in him. My sin has been done away with. His righteousness is on me. What if you were to remember your baptism when you felt guilty? You know, how, y'all know how guilt, guilt can kind of linger. I ain't the only one. You do something, and like three days later, you're just like, dang. But if what if I remember? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! no, Jesus died, in my place. He rose again. His righteousness is on me. What this doctrine also teaches us is that we need to be careful of harsh judgments. We all have a tendency to. to we all have a tendency to judge people pretty harshly. Look at them. I can't believe what they did. They didn't say it that way. They didn't say the right thing. They didn't, they didn't vote the way I wanted to do. They did Whatever it is, they didn't do the thing that makes me really mad, or they should have done the thing that I thought they should do. We, we, we have this tendency to be harsh, but God was gracious to us. Yeah? God could have given us a harsh, just judgment. Could he not? But he did not. When you think about how hard it is to be forgiving and generous to those around you, remember the forgiveness and generosity of God cost him his blood. It's a costly thing to be generous and forgiving. But the Lord Jesus set the trajectory and the example for us. He also empowers us to do it. The last thing I want you to remember is I want us to love our neighbor well. Through our callings. Now you're like, what does that got to do with justification? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Martin Luther, he used to talk about this doctrine. Two kinds of righteousness. You know, y'all like, two? Is it not one? Two kinds? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me break it down. He talks about this one type of righteousness that is, is alien or, or it's other or it's, it's heavenly. It doesn't come from you, right? The righteousness that we have in Christ, is it dependent on you? No. It is not dependent on you, okay? It does not depend on you. It doesn't come from you. You don't work it out. It is given to you from above. But then he also says that, you know, there are actions that you do towards your neighbor that do come from you and that affect those around you. So when you consider your standing before God, we we look to the heavenly righteousness of Christ. It's unchanging. It's unchanging. Let me tell you why. Particularly for those who have a soft conscience. If you wake up in the morning... And you're, you know, you're conscious a little, oh, I feel, I'm not feeling like I'm all good today. I better do extra good today so that God's cool with me. No, 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 no. No, that's not the type of righteousness we trust in We ain't trusting in the righteousness that changes every day. We're trusting in the one that is eternal, okay? But when you consider what you have to tangibly do in this life, you consider your neighbor. Let me tell you why this is important. If I walk d- all day with a fragile conscience, and I'm like, am I right, am I right, am I right, am I right? I don't know. It actually takes my attention away from what I'm supposed to be doing. Does it make sense? You, like when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm struggling with my guilty shame, all, like I'm inward. I'm looking at me. But, beloved, if I remember, wait a minute, my, my righteousness is secure. It's credited. It's in a bank. Ain't nobody getting to it, okay? No, no, no thief is getting to it. I can actually look around and say, now who needs my help? I'm secure. Nothing's going to touch me, but who around me needs my help? See, when we consider what you have to tangibly do in this life, we consider our neighbor. Now listen, this is especially helpful for those who have demanding vocations, demanding callings. You all know who has a demanding calling? Mothers of young children. They ain't got time to be like, you know, reading, reading theological books and praying for hours, right? They're like, I'm just trying to put your clothes on, child. You know, like, you know just, I'm just trying to do the thing. You know what I'm saying? But here's the deal. Uh, listen, imagine as they're doing those things, they are remembering that they have a righteousness that cannot be touched. And their conscience is secure. And they are at peace and they can go, but well, these little people around me, they need my help. Or they're going to die, okay? <laughs> they need me. And I can be fully present to them because I know that God has secured my eternal righteousness. Some of us have like super high demanding jobs. You get to work and it's like, boom, <laughs> you in there. You, you ain't, ain't nothing. Listen, listen. What kind of peace can I have if I understand that my righteousness is in Christ? Nothing's touching it. So I can be fully aware of what I have to do. Some of us serve needy people, and it's it's, it's exhausting. But here's what we don't have to be exhausted about, that our righteousness is secure. Listen, I'm telling you that this doctrine of imputation, this doctrine of the righteousness of Christ, actually has tangible good to those around you because you can dwell in security knowing that God got you. You don't have to be worried about you. God has got you, so you can be fully attentive to those around you. This means that you can focus on those who you serve with your calling, with a consistent happiness, freedom, praise, and thanksgiving. Remember, guilt drives you inward. Justification, it drives you outward. I don't have to be, I don't have to be just navel-gazing all day. I can go, okay, God's got me. What do I have to do? So, beloved, God makes us right by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is good news for us, and, beloved, it's even good news for those we serve. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have credited us righteousness. You have given us something that we did not earn. In fact, we earned the opposite. But, Lord, you saw us in our neediness You came and lived among us, and you died the death that we should have died, and you rose again victorious, innocent, and you give us those titles. Lord, we praise you, and we thank you. Please help us to live every day in the light, Lord, of our baptism, in the light of of the fact that we have been washed, our old life is dead, Dead, our sins have, have no uh, uh, hold on us. That that we have been resurrected. That we receive this forgiveness and righteousness, Lord. You have given us such great gifts. So help us to live in the reality, and the light of them. In Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. So every week we always respond to what Christ has done through communion. Um, you'll find the, them under your chair. The Lord's Supper, it's it's a celebration of the presence of God in our midst. It brings us into fellowship with God and one another. It feeds and nourishes our souls. And it anticipates the day when we will drink and eat with Christ in the Father's kingdom. This meal is for those who have been baptized into Christ. If you've not yet been baptized into Christ, I urge you to take hold of Christ. Remember, by faith, saying, God, I accept what you have done for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, that you would use this act to strengthen and confirm our faith, that we could live full off of what you have given. Amen, amen. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us such a beautiful sign of what you have done. Lord, would you strengthen us by your broken body strengthen us by your shed blood that we might live for the glory of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit amen amen we always take time to confess what we believe together so what unites us to Christians all across the world and throughout history so let's stand together and let's let's confess uh, the Apostles Creed together you'll find on the screen or on the paper He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. We have a couple of uh, announcements. Uh, We have our small groups, our missional communities. They meet on Tuesday, 6 o'clock here, Wednesday, 7 o'clock here. We love to to see you there. Um, I want you guys to be praying for a a really cool opportunity uh, that we've been given. Um, One of our rooms, one of our Sunday school rooms, is being used as a visitation room uh, for foster care because the, the, the office is closed. And they've been having issues uh, uh, having the parents meet uh, because the office is closed. But we've been able to use uh, one of our rooms down here, um, and so we have—we've already had some come. We got some more scheduled. And so when when the Lord gave us this building, we always thought, hey, we literally have been given this. We want to be generous with what we have been given. So be praying that um, uh, God would use that room uh, to restore families, that, that he would use that room to, to, you know, help us to build inroads um, with people so we can share the good news of the gospel. We have the Welcome Leadership Development. That's Tuesday and Thursday, 4 to 6 here. That's our tutoring and mentoring program for uh, middle and high school students. We'd love to have you help out with that. And I think that's it, man. We got anything else? Okay, that sounds good to me. All right, well, our benediction is from 1 Corinthians 6.11. Please lift your hand and receive this blessing from God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless y'all. See y'all next week. (sighs)